Welcome, beautiful soul, to the Break the Cycle podcast, the very first of our guest appearances on season two of this podcast. It is my delight and pleasure to introduce you to this guest that I think so highly of and is such an incredible person, human, um, but also an incredible author, a best-selling author who specializes in mental strength. If you haven't figured it out yet, her name is Amy Morin. Amy is a psychotherapist, and you may have read her book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, or any of her other books on mental strength, or you may have seen her TED Talk, which ranks among the most widely watched TED Talks ever. I really suggest that you go check it out. It's pretty incredible. It has over 13 million views. And like I said, Amy is also a wonderful human with a story of survival. Her method of mental fortitude came after two significant losses in her life. And here, she so graciously shares with us some of those nuggets that she was able to learn from that period of her life and how cycle breakers can increase their own mental strength. Now, without further ado, here's Amy. So the, the conversation that I want to have with you, of course, is going to be around what your expertise is and specialty is around mental strength. And also, you know, around what we talk about on this podcast, which is breaking cycles and being able to kind of get into anything that has to do with cycle breaking behavior. So what I'm hoping that I can gather from you here so that people can get a full breadth of how your work applies to the process of, of breaking cycles is your perspective on how mental strength can be built when we've undergone trauma, when trauma has been in our families for a long time, for generations. So a large part of what I want to get started with asking you is in reference to that, but I first wanted to get into mental strength. What is mental strength according to, to you, to the expert? So it's about the way you think, feel, and behave. And I'm glad you asked what mental strength is, because a lot of people think it's mental health, but uh, it makes more sense when we think about physical strength and physical health and that difference. So if you went to the gym, you could get physically strong, but you might still get a physical health issue like high blood pressure. Doesn't mean that being physically strong will get rid of all of those things. And mental strength is the same because I hear a lot of people be like, oh, I want to be mentally strong, but I have depression or if only I didn't have anxiety. But we all have the ability to develop mental strength every single day through exercises, practices that we do. Say practicing gratitude can change the way you think. Just naming your feelings can shift the way that you feel. And then when it comes to action, sometimes it's about pushing yourself to do things you don't want to do, but then knowing the difference. The other days where maybe you say, okay, I'm not going to do this because it doesn't serve me well. And if we all have goals in mind of like when to push ourselves, when to take a break, something we're all working on, then we can all choose to become mentally stronger every single day. Wow. You're blowing my mind right now. So you think that a person can have mental strength and simultaneously also have things that they're working on around their mental health? Yeah. So because sometimes people will ask me, like, who's mentally stronger or what do you think about this celebrity and their mental strength? But honestly, I don't know. I don't know what sort of internal battles somebody is fighting. I can only see what they, their behavior says on the outside. But 
you could have two people do two really different things. One person says, you know, no, I'm not going to go on that roller coaster ride. And then you have somebody else who says, yes, I'm going to. Maybe they're both scared of roller coasters, but one person's working on facing their fears and doing things outside their comfort zone. The other person's working on speaking up and saying no to things that make them uncomfortable. I don't know what anybody's working on, but we all have choices to say, what do I want to work on in my life and how might that play out? The outside world only sees your behavior, but they don't know what it is that you're truly working on, what emotions you're experiencing and what thoughts are running through your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think you're speaking to the complexity of the human mind, right? Like we're just such complex beings and we can simultaneously hold one experience and another. The same with, you know, the the physical piece that you mentioned, like we can hold one experience, like we can hold you know, uh, some sort of physical agility while also having something else that's happening in the body. body. Um, Yeah, we see some people that look like the epitome of mental strength. They're like an elite athlete or uh, somebody who maybe they're a Navy SEAL. Well, they still might develop a gambling addiction or they might have a hard time with relationships. Like just because somebody has a lot of self-discipline in one area doesn't mean, yeah, that person is 100% mentally strong. We all have things that we can improve in areas that we can work on. And we all have areas that are more tempting to us than others and mistakes that we make in certain areas of our lives. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because in reference to people that have undergone any kind of trauma, including the global trauma that we just went through, to be frank, right? I mean, the crisis that for many of us left us even more tender than before, let's say. Um, What would you say is something that people can really kind of take home around having been through something that has then traumatized them, like they actually experienced trauma. What is there to say about the mental strength of those individuals? Yeah. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, you should expose yourself to tough circumstances just to toughen yourself up. I don't think that most of us need to do that. Like life is pretty tough as it is. You can practice it with certain things. Somebody might say, yeah, I take cold showers just to prove to myself that I can get through tough times. But life is tough. And it's all about the stories that we tell ourselves about how you made it through it. Whether you get through, again, two people could go through the same experience and come out with very different stories. Whereas one person might say, you know, I I almost died. This was awful. There was nobody there to help me. Somebody else's story of the same event might be like, I'm a warrior. I just got through this and I didn't have that many people to help me. But by golly, I pulled out resources and skills and strategies that I had forgotten I even had. And getting out on the other side unscathed doesn't necessarily mean you're the epitome of mental strength either. I think sometimes people use that as a badge of honor. Like, I went through all this trauma and look how great I am still. And they might be suffering on the outside, but there's this pressure to look like you have it still all together on the outside. And I think that's really damaging. So for people to know when you do go through traumatic experiences, it's going to affect you and it's okay. And to acknowledge how it's affected the way you think, the way you feel and the way that you behave. And Just acknowledging that, like, okay, this traumatic thing I went through makes my brain go to X, Y, and Z or heightens my anxiety in certain circumstances can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. And speaking from my own personal experience, my mom passed away, my husband passed away, my father-in-law passed away, and I lost a foster child all within a fairly short period of time. Mm -hmm. I now go through life expecting the people around me to drop dead at any given moment Mm -hmm. And I know that about myself. So when I see somebody do something that could be even like, you know, the most minor thing, like my anxiety goes up because or somebody says I have a headache. I'm like, "Mm, it's a brain aneurysm. 
and just recognizing that, okay, Amy, the trauma that you've been through just programs your brain to always think about that helps me. Doesn't mean I necessarily lack mental strength because I struggle, but on the other hand, it doesn't mean I can't still just choose to acknowledge it, embrace it, figure out, okay, this is what the result is and how am I going to respond to it? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's powerful. That reminds me, you know, I, I mean, I, I've spoken on this platform previously about the fact that I have been a caretaker uh, to a family member who is still alive, uh, underwent a really rigorous transplant process. And I was there through the entire process and it was a lung transplant. And in, in every single moment, I was always so cautious of listening to her breath, listening to her breath. And it was a thing where like, if I could, with people that have, you know, fibrosis or any kind of like lung condition, sometimes they'll skip a breath. It's just yeah. part of the disease, right? And so I would always wait like, okay, skip the breath. When's the next one coming? And it's almost a, a bit of that, right? Like it's like you're waiting for the next thing. And then eventually I transitioned into just, just having appreciation for the breaths that were there. Yeah. Focusing on the breaths that she was having the fact that she's alive, the fact that she's still with us. And like, that was something that really transformed the way that I was carrying the weight of that emotional experience. So I feel like it, it kind of like reminds me a bit of that. Yeah. I love that. Cause that's one of those, like that breathing is one of those tangible things that like <laughs> you wait for, you wait for the other shoe to drop, right? If you have somebody that has a breathing issue and and the the difficulties and the anxiety that that probably stirred up and yeah in my own life it's like that too of like okay what's gonna happen next but but knowing okay that's part of my process and that's where my brain goes just because that's been my experience so far but also just saying okay well what do i do today how do i get the most out of today despite the fact that yep i i don't know what's gonna happen or i don't know what's gonna happen to people around me but i have a choice in how i respond to that choice wow yeah, because it's a little bit about either leaning to fear or leading to gratitude, right? Like gratitude right. people that are here and like really kind of fully immersing yourself in the presence of the fact that they're in your life, right? Versus like, yes. when will they no longer be? Right. It's different. Very different. I'd like to take a little bit out of bits and pieces of your work because I'm like completely just a huge fan of every every piece of work that you put out there for everybody across the lifespan, right? For children, for parents, for, you know, any, anyone. And sometimes I read pieces of your books and it makes me think about cycle breaking in a very specific way. So I wanted to take bits and pieces that I've gathered and just get, get a more expanded version of your thoughts on these. So one of the um, things that mentally strong people don't do is they don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves as you identify. However, individuals that are in the process of understanding that their families could not break cycles before it got to them, and that they now are undergoing some sort of trauma, tend to feel sorry for themselves very often. So what is something that you might say to someone that's like really stuck on that past behavior or non-behavior of their family members to not break those cycles? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I hear that often where people will say like, we wasted so much time or if I hadn't had to go through certain things. And so I guess a couple strategies. One is just reframing it. And so if your family, a lot of cycles happen and maybe you even repeated the cycle for a while, it's just remembering like you probably, despite the fact that these people went through hard things and they maybe 
some bad things happened. I guarantee that your family members who survived it had a lot of mental strength to get to where you are and that you're here today. And in my own case, just reminding myself of that sometimes is like, okay, my family did not have it the easiest, but here I am today. The fact that they went through all this, they did the best they could with what they had and, and I'm still here and that helps a lot. So I think reframing this, the story of, of your family can help. And then I think also um, doing anything contrary to self-pity. Self-pity usually tells us to sit around and do nothing and wish that things were better and nobody's life ever got better because they wished it were better. Instead, you can say, well, what do I have to give? And just doing something kind to somebody. When you check out at the grocery store, say something nice to the cashier. Maybe you write a, a gratitude letter to somebody, but taking action that's contrary to self-pity is really the antidote, whether that's, and a lot of people will say, well, I don't have anything to give or I'm really struggling in life, but we know social support is also what gets us through tough times. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't have anybody to support me. That's why I feel so bad. Well, go be that person for somebody else then. And often it's then reciprocated. If you just say, well, just because I don't have a lot of support, how do I support other people? And it might, again, just be as simple as go on social media and leave five kind messages for other people. It can make you feel a little bit better just to know I just spent 10 minutes doing something that made a difference in somebody else's life. I love that so much. It's so tangible. And I think that sometimes people think about breaking cycles and the enormity of something like generational trauma or generational, you know, cycles of, of, of hurt and pain. And they think it's so insurmountable that I think it really holds them back from being able to take tangible action on a daily basis in these small ways that can have a monumental effect. I really love that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the best ways to say I'm going to break a cycle is I'm going to do something a little bit differently. And even if that's those little small things that you do, acts of kindness, or um, say, I'm going to, I can't go back and fix the past, but how do I make somebody else's future perhaps just a little bit brighter? There's always things we can do. Wow. Yeah, for sure. The other, I guess, um, piece that I wanted to pick out from your work had to do with when people give away their power, because individuals that are in the cycle breaking process tend to focus on the people that have hurt them. And of course, you know, the, this happens a lot whenever they're wanting to have conversations with these individuals. Holidays are a big moment when people want to have these conversations too, right? And a lot of what happens is that they just go back into the turbulence, into the emotional chaos, and they give away their power rather than standing in their strength. So what's something that can be done whenever a person is hoping to not give away their power? What can they do instead? So a big one with this is just changing your language. So often we'll say like my um, my cousin makes me feel bad about myself or my mother-in-law steals my time or um, you know, somebody ruined my day. My boss makes me work late and we blame other people for all this stuff. And when it comes to say a generational cycle, we want to blame the other people. Like it's my grandfather's fault that I'm like this or my um, great aunt's fault that I struggle with this. But really, it's about now just saying, OK, how do I switch my language? All right, I'm in control of how I think, feel and behave, how I spend my time, who I spend it with. So every time you catch yourself blaming somebody else, just take it back and say, who do I want to be today? How do I want to spend my time? Who do I want to spend it with? Because it's absolutely up to you. Mm -hmm. And it's hard sometimes to do that because we really want to blame other people for uh, messing us up and wasting our lives. But really when we do that, we're just giving them more power over our time and our, our mental real estate, our energy, the more you think about all these things, the more time you're giving those people. So you can say, I'm going to commit to saying, I'm going to give 
uh, these people less of my time and less of my mental energy. And I'm going to choose to focus on the things that I think deserve my time and attention. Yeah. I think a bit of what that is saying, at least I'm interpreting it that way. Let's say that is that before they could have messed up big portions of your, of your life or time by what they did or didn't do. But now you're allowing them to have an opportunity to continue to do that, right? So it's almost like there's a bit of power that you're giving away in that way because you're giving them the reins to be able to continue doing the things that have hurt you. Yeah, and the longer you sit around and like rehash, ruminate, come up with ideas of like, I wish I would have said that or if I had only done this. And and then the more we spend like... um dreading the future too so as you say the holidays are coming up maybe you're seeing family for three hours on the holidays but you could spend six weeks dreading those three hours and suddenly you're giving those people six weeks of your life instead of just three hours of your life and just being more aware of that like how much time and attention do i want to give to this how much time do i want to spend thinking about these people versus you know if you choose to go to an event then they're going to be there then um maybe you decide, yes, three hours of my time is, is worth it. And I'm going to go do that. But I don't want to give them six weeks of dread as well as I think about how much I don't want to see them. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a message for us all for, for anything. I mean, I know that it's not a universal truth that some traumas are very different in, in the ways that people experience them. Um, maybe not, may not apply as much as what we're talking about here, but I think for a lot of us, especially when it's, you know, invalidation, gaslighting, all these things that we we kind of like step back into when we start these conversations with these individuals, and you know, it, it just offers an opportunity for them to re-gaslight us, re-invalidate us. Right. Like it continues and it continues rather than gets disrupted. Ooh. Um, okay. So the the other piece that I wanted to uh, focus on had to do with dwelling on the past, and I think that that's a, a part of also the ruminative kind of quality that people can have when they're in a traumatized mind and body. It just happens to be something that is a byproduct of being in trauma. So um, what, especially, and I, I just want to add a little bit of a layer here. This is especially so something that happens when people are already parents and they're thinking about the possibility that they quote unquote mess their children up. Mm. Well, on the fact that I've already messed them up. They're already in their teens, you know, and so they dwell on that rather than transitioning into what they can do. So what can we tell, maybe let's say a parent, you know, that, that maybe dwelling on the past of what, how they had, didn't break the cycle in the past moments that they have with their children. What can we say about what they can do moving forward? Oh yeah, that's a good one. Cause as a therapist, I get plenty of people who come in and say like, uh, say a single mom who said, you know, I don't deserve to date. I don't deserve to have fun. I don't deserve to have my own life because I did horrible things when my kids were young. I didn't really take good care of them. So now that they're teenagers, I feel like I just need to punish myself. Essentially that she didn't have those words to say because she didn't really know that's exactly what she was doing, but she committed her life to working, taking care of her kids and never doing anything joyful because she was really upset with herself. One of the things we worked on was just reframing her shame. So instead of saying I'm a bad person, well, yeah, I made some bad choices when the kids were younger. And that really helped her because when she decided I'm a bad mom or I'm a bad person, she wasn't going to do anything differently. 
when we feel like we're bad people, we just make lots of bad choices because we don't have high expectations of ourselves. And we just repeat those same things. But if she could just switch that and say, okay, I made some bad choices. I'm not the, wasn't the best parent ever. However, what do I want to do moving forward? And to just really concentrate on that, like today, my job is to be the best parent I can possibly be. And build that relationship with my kids and maybe it will never be perfect because I messed up all these other years and maybe it'll never be exactly where we want it to be but what's my job right now to make it the best possible relationship that we can have and just by focusing on that and when she would catch herself dwelling on the past it was about saying okay that's that's not helpful right now beating myself up and um using some self-compassion to say yeah I didn't know any better there were things I wished I hadn't done but um and then we also just look at the facts, too. There's plenty of things out there that say having a good enough parent is good enough. And if you were a perfect parent, you'd actually set your kids up for failure because their future partner, boss, roommates are not going to be perfect people either. And so sometimes parents are like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's OK. I made some mistakes and now I have the opportunity to learn from those mistakes. And, you know, you can also when kids are older, have conversations about stuff like it's not a secret. If you did some things you weren't proud of back in the day. They know it and you know it, yet often it's never discussed because parents are like, I don't want to bring that up. But sometimes you can have those conversations of like, gee, I was not doing the things I wished I had done. And here's some of the mistakes I made. Here's why I did them. It's not an excuse, but I'm giving you an explanation. And here's some some of the reasons why it happened. And here's how I learned to do, to do differently. And here's why I want our future to be better. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so powerful. I'm so, <laughs> wow, I'm blown away. And you know, I think that what what this is also helping, I'm, I'm hoping it's helping me see, but I'm hoping that parents that are listening would also be able to see that there is an opportunity to course correct and to create moments of growth and moments where, you know, there can be mutual compassion, right? I think that there's, there's a lot of space for all of that. So I'm loving that you're offering so much of that in addition to uh, the negative wisdom that you offered there. And I've treated kids for years and a lot of like, you know, parents will often be like, my kid's going to end up in therapy because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, man, a lot of times when, you know, young adults come into therapy, really not what you think it's going to be about. <laughs> like, it's not the fact that you didn't let them play soccer in the second grade and that the parent thinks is scarring for their kids' lives. Like, it's really not that. It's probably something else anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, You've already offered us so much in reference to breaking cycles and doing so tangibly in the moment. But if you can leave us with one more nugget of wisdom as to what a person can do to break the cycle and enter into a process of mental strength today, what's one thing that can be done right now? I think just acknowledging it and then talking about it and just I don't know who would be the right person to talk about in everybody's circumstance. Maybe it's a friend, a family member, a therapist, talking to somebody else in your family who's been through it just to say, you know, now that I'm older, this is how I see things. And it's probably much different than the way you viewed it when you were eight years old. But as an adult, when you look back at things that happen in your family, you see them differently. But for whatever reason, we often keep those things as secrets or we're ashamed of them, or we think maybe nobody else noticed. So I don't want to bring it up, but Wow. Acknowledging it and talking about it to somebody, whether you have an online forum that you talk to complete strangers or you have a friend or a therapist, but just 
explaining to somebody, this is what happened in my family. This is what I thought was normal as a kid. And this is how it's affected me now as an adult. Oh, I just find that to be so healing for so many people. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's an opportunity for individuals to also get into, into a process where they're shifting away from shame and transitioning more into vulnerability, which is really an essential part of how we heal. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Thank you so, so much. I feel like this has been like such an enlightening and wonderful conversation filled with so many gems. And I already thought and knew that it would be. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that energy here. Oh, thank you for having me and for all the work that you do in teaching us about how to break those cycles. It's so important. Wasn't Amy a gem of a guest? I hope you appreciated her tangible feedback on how we can build mental resilience and mental fortitude to bolster our healing. I know I sure did. Now, whenever we're talking about trauma, our nervous system registers it and it can make us feel uneasy. So it's helpful to find some grounding. I've created a sound bath meditation for intergenerational trauma that you can access for free by going to drmariobouquet.com slash podcast. And I'm hoping that this can help you to feel more leveled whenever you listen. Now, remember that no matter where you are in your healing journey, you have an opportunity today to break the cycle. For weekly coping tips, you can go sign up to my newsletter or follow me on social on Bouquet. Take care of that beautiful soul of yours, and I'll catch you at the next episode. Mm-hmm.